Philippians chapter 3, as you just heard, we're getting back into uh, working through Philippians verse by verse. So find chapter 3 as we begin this new chapter together. Good morning to you, Sailorville Church. It's good to be back with you on this first Sunday in 2019. I tell you what, I've grown a lot through 2018, and I hope that that's your testimony as well, that you've grown in Christ over this last year. But I found myself this morning still as needy as ever, still needy of Christ. And I hope that you have that same posture this morning as well as we find our way to Philippians in chapter three as we be nourished on the word of God and strengthened in his gospel this morning. A pastor that I admire named Charlie Dates, he gives this quote that I heard the other day, listen into it and you'll do well. What is theological is not always logical. Let me say that again. What is theological is not always logical. And what is logical is not always theological. What that means is the Bible doesn't always make logical sense in this life. And what we think in this life makes logical sense to us is not always the way what the Bible teaches. It's often against what makes sense to our minds. So as Christians, we must learn to assess life by the word of God. And when his word works against our natural reactions, we line up our lives with his word And when his word is different than the cultural norms, the world around us, we adjust ourselves to God's word and not the culture around us. But oftentimes, God's word goes against our natural thinking and the way that the world thinks. For instance, we have this thought, if I finally get what I wanted, if I finally achieve all my biggest goals that I've ever desired in this life, then... I will have true joy. I mean, that makes logical sense. But then you hear about people like Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, who have no chance at the Super Bowl this year because they're not in the playoffs. But just a few years back, they were and they won the Super Bowl. And it's interesting An article in ESPN talking to Aaron Rodgers afterwards, he says, I was sitting on the bus with the team. And everyone was passing around the Lombardi Trophy, the championship trophy, and we were all touching and holding it, and I had this sinking feeling in my gut. And he said to himself, I hope this isn't all I do. He had achieved the greatest goal of his life, and yet he says, I hope this isn't it. You kids out there on Christmas morning, when you open that last gift, and maybe you did get all that you ever wanted, and yet there's that sinking feeling inside, like, man, I thought it would feel different than this. Parents out there, it's not your kids that feel that way. It's everyone else's, okay? Yours are completely content with what they got. But this is our natural reaction. We think that if we get what we want, we gain everything. That's the pathway to joy. But the word of God is counter cultural. And the key to joy is not gaining according to God's word, but losing. So verse one of chapter three, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul starts out this section with the word finally. 
There's an old joke where a kid turns to his dad during the service and says, Dad, what's it mean when the preacher says finally or in conclusion? And the dad looks down at his son and says, absolutely nothing. And so Paul here in the same way says, finally, but he's still got half the letter left. So why does he use this word? Finally is a common word that we can also translate so then or moreover. It's a hinging word. He's been talking about Timothy. He's been talking about Epaphroditus. And he says, okay, I've talked about my plans for them. I used them as an example of joy and godliness. And now I'm transitioning into a new section, still keeping this theme of joy, but now using myself as an example and my story and how Christ has used my story and what I found to be joy in this life. And he says, listen, it's no trouble for me to say the same things to you. It's good for you. It's a safe thing. He says this word safe, it also means safeguard, it can be translated. It means to put a prisoner in stocks for safekeeping so that they cannot move. And if you've been around Sailorville Church for any amount of time, what I am going to say this morning is nothing new to you. Nothing that I'll say is like, wow, I never heard that before, but you need to hear it again. You know, so often we say, I just need to hear something new, something fresh, when in reality, what we need to do is believe what we already know from the Bible and put it into practice this year in 2019. Now, if this is all fresh and new to you, you're exploring the Christian faith, this will be new to you and hopefully exciting and delightful, but don't think it's just for you. It's for everybody because we're so easy to forget. So it's a safeguard. It's like that rumble strip on the highway. We know where the edge is, but oftentimes we find ourselves kind of moving over in that direction. And I move over that way when I'm getting distracted and I hear that, right? And my wife's like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm fine. Things are fine. And you get back in the lane where you're supposed to be. This passage, in a way, is that type of safeguard for us. And I want us to experience today the joy of countercultural living. Reminding us, because we so easily forget, defaulting to our own logic and the world around us, that the Bible calls us in joy to live counterculturally, different than what we know to be true of the world. Verse three, or verse two of chapter three says, look out for dogs, look out for those evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul transitions here and says, look out for dogs. Now a few years back, that was a standard greeting for guys, right? We said, what's up dog, how you doing? It's one of my dogs over there. That's a few years ago. If you're still doing that, it's okay, but that time has passed. We still love you. But that would have been uh, much different than what it actually means in the Old Testament. It wasn't a term of endearment and definitely not a term, a term of brotherhood because dogs were not pets in that time. They were scavengers, and their desire was to eat up whatever they came across. Nobody had them as Pets, I found this to be true when I was in Africa just a few summers ago, and I just naturally, there's a dog sitting on the sidewalk outside a house, went down to pet it, and the missionary was like, whoa, it's not the dog you're thinking of. I was like, oh, okay, thanks for the warning, right? They're much different, so who is Paul talking to? Who's he referring to? It's a group called the Judaizers. Why don't you say that with me? It's a fun thing to say, the Judaizers. 
Well done. In the Judaizers, if you've read the book of Galatians, basically the entirety of that book is written in response to them. And here's what this group believed. They were Jews that trusted Jesus, but what they taught was Jesus plus Jewish rituals, the hands washing, the food, and circumcision for the men. They taught, you can trust Jesus, but you gotta actually adopt all the practices if you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, and become a Jew. That's how you earn full salvation in Christ and everything that the Jewish life entails. This is what brings these two things together, salvation, and then Paul calls them dogs, evil doers. Now that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I'm sure they're nice guys. I'm sure they cared for those they were talking to, well-dressed, nice-looking guys, but Paul says a harsh critique for them. He says, they're dogs, they're evil doers. Why so harsh, Paul? Because of this. Anybody who tries to mix salvation with works and faith even if they don't realize it, they are dogs because they're trying not to save you but keep you from salvation. Here's the cultural myth this morning. We're told that salvation comes through outward conformity. Now, if you've been around for a while, you talk to people that live in your neighborhood, most people say, well, if I can just be good, if I can just not be too bad, not as, not as bad as the guy that lives next door to me, right? Then I can have salvation, and then I can have eternal life. That's the cultural myth, and here is the biblical truth. My salvation comes through inward transformation. Salvation comes through inward transformation. And Paul is going to contrast this with the Judaizers as he says, listen, we are the circumcision. Gentiles were not circumcised. It's Jews are what separated them from the rest of the world was that they had this outwardly. And now Paul is saying, you who have faith in Christ, you're the real Jewish people. He actually calls them dogs. Now that would have been a reference that the Jews called Gentiles, unclean people, didn't follow the ceremonial practices. Paul says, no, actually they're the dogs and you're the ones who are clean because we worship God by his spirit. It's not about transforming ourselves, cleaning ourselves up to make us acceptable to God, but it's because God, by his Holy Spirit, comes into our dead souls, shows us our needs for Jesus, and awakens us to receive Jesus Christ. And so we've been inwardly changed, not by our own doing, but someone else working upon us, showing us our need for Christ. And so if you're here this morning, and you're trying so hard to be good, to be made right with God, Stop and just trust that Jesus has been good for you and he'll come in and he'll change you so you worship God in spirit and in truth as Jesus says in John chapter four. Paul says, listen, we worship Christ in spirit and in truth and we glory in Christ and we have no confidence in the flesh. This glory here actually means it's the word boast. So Paul says we boast in Christ. Tim Keller points out to us here that this boasting, they would have thought of a military conquest. 
where the general stands out in front of his army and he boasts about how much greater they are than the army they are about to face. He says, we've got all the chariots. We've got the best strategy. We've got the best weapons. All this stuff is going to defeat them. It was where their confidence was. And the guys would hear the general saying this like, yeah, let's do this thing. Let's defeat these guys. That was their boast. That's where their confidence was found in themselves. But the Bible is countercultural. It goes against what we believe. Yeah, you boast in yourself and what you can do in our culture. Even in a little league game where all the kids are supposed to play, when the score is close or it's tied, all the scrubs are going out and all the good kids are getting in. All those that have performed really well in practice and in the games, that's how it works, but not according to the Bible. It's no trouble for me to say the same things to you, he says. It's a safeguard for us and for you. And it's the same thing for us. Listen, Sailorville Church, your outward conformity does nothing for salvation. God, the judge of all the earth, makes sinners right with him through Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It's through faith in his death and resurrection. And so Jesus stands at the edge of the battle. And he says, guys, you aren't going to do anything today. I'm going out there, and I'm destroying evil, death, and sin, and you're just going to watch. And you, do you believe that I can do this? We say, yes. That's where my boast is. That's where my confidence is. Where's your confidence today? Paul says, listen, these Judaizers, they outwardly, they look really good, but I'll tell you what, outwardly, I looked a lot better than they did According to who I was, my worth, let me tell you what, what kind of life I have come from. Look at verse four. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Cultural myth number two is my worth comes from gaining. My worth comes from gaining. That's how I know I'm valuable is what I have, my accomplishments, my possessions, what I've gained in this life. That's who I am. That's my identity. But the biblical truth is my worth comes by losing. My worth comes by losing. Paul lays out his resume of credentials. He says, the Judaizers don't even come close to my pedigree and accomplishment. R. Kent Hughes points out that the first three that he lists here are inherited privileges simply because of his birth. And the final three things that he lists here on his resume are personal accomplishments, things that Paul has done. Look what he says. I've been circumcised on the eighth day of Israel. Paul was a total insider. His family did not convert to Judaism. He was born into Israel, and his parents were as well. He was a pure-bred Israelite. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Also pointed out to us that Benjamin was the only son who was ever born in the promised land of the 12 sons of Israel. Paul's saying, I'm not from Gad. I'm not from Zebulun. I'm of the ones that went down to Judah and the southern tribe. Listen, future people are going to name their kids after my tribe, right? I mean, how many Issachars do we have running around this church? 
None. But there's some Ben's, there's some Benjamins out there, and Paul is saying, my origin traces back to Rachel. It doesn't trace back to Leah. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He not only spoke Greek, but he also spoke Aramaic, probably prayed in Aramaic. He was educated in Jerusalem privately. He was the kid that went to a college preparatory high school, took all the AP classes, had so many credits that when he went to college, he entered as a junior. All right, Paul had it all. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and then he adds, but don't think it was just my upbringing. I added a lot to it as well. I was a Pharisee. We often think because of all the, how many times the Pharisees are mentioned in the Gospels, that it was this huge group. But Harmon points out after reading Josephus that really out of all the Jews, there was only about 6,000 Pharisees. They were a very small elite group. And Paul says, out of that elite group, everybody knew me. They knew who I was. I was the rising star of that group. Look what he says in Galatians when he's sharing his testimony. He says, I was advanced in Judaism beyond my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He says, listen, everybody knew who I was. I had so much zeal. I was persecuting the church of Christ and I was telling them where they should go and I was locking them up and doing everything. And then it came to the law. Nobody even came close to me. I was blameless. Paul's not saying he was perfect. He's using the same word here he uses back in chapter two where he says that Christians are to live blameless in a crooked generation. He's saying, but no one, when it came to law keeping, could ever bring a charge against me. He's saying, come on, Judaizers, put away your Nerf ball. Let's play some hardball. I've got you all beat. But then verse seven is so interesting, isn't it? He said, but what I've gained, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I count it all as loss. None of it mattered. All my zeal, all my seriousness, where I was from, none of it mattered for anything in comparison to knowing Jesus. This word lost, the only other time it's used is in Acts chapter 27 where Paul is shipwrecked and all the cargo and the entire ship was lost, went down to the bottom of the ocean never to be retrieved or to return. He says, that's everything who I used to be, all of what I was wrapped up in, all my identity is gone, it's a loss, I can never get it back. Paul says, it's no trouble for me to say these things to you. It's a safeguard for both of us. And listen in on this. Sailorville Church, you will never regret choosing Christ. It might be difficult. As you're evaluating your life, there's so much that I would have to give up. But let me tell you, the gain far outweighs the loss It doesn't mean that every day is gonna be gumdrops and roses in the Christian life, but it is worth it. Why? Paul tells us in verse eight, this is why. He says, indeed I count all things lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as 
rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So why does he lose everything, not giving things up so he doesn't have any attachments anymore, as some religions teach? Lose it all so you're detached from the world and you become a guru, and that's just how life is supposed to be with no attachments. No, he says, I've given it all up and I've attached myself to Christ because when you lose everything for the sake of Christ, what do you gain? You gain Christ. That's what you get. And this is a joyful life. It's joyous. You know, we walk around, it's like, yeah, I'm just another beggar trying to help other beggars find bread. That's my life. Stop. Have some joy. You've gained Christ. And he says it's a surpassing value. He, puts, he says, listen, I was searching for McDonald's when I could have had the greatest steak of my life. If you're a vegan, the greatest salad of your life, whatever it is. He says, I was searching for all those things, and that's exactly what I found. That I was looking for McDonald's, and what I found was so much greater, surpassing value. Put everything in the right perspective. All that I lost, now I know Christ. That's my identity. This isn't true just for Paul. It's true all across the scriptures. If you read them all, this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter nine. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So what is he saying there? Everyone boasts in something. Everyone has their confidence in something. But let him who boasts, let him find his confidence in this, that he understands and that he knows me. Now, how many of you understand everything about the Bible? Not me. But what God has made totally clear and totally obvious is who he is and what his plan is. And he gives you an opportunity to live in a relationship with him. And Paul says, I've found this so that everything else in my life is like trash. The ESV uses the word rubbish here. I think that's for you if you have British descent. That's for you this morning. But we see it as trash. But the KJV actually does it well in translating it as dung. One commentator says it best. He says probably the best English word for what Paul is trying to get at here is the word crap. Because it can mean trash and it can mean dung at the very same time. And he says this is what everything I've gained, this is what I compare it to. So I grew up in a, a pastor's home, and one of the joys of being in a pastor's kid is that you get to explore the church when no one else is here. And uh, I was walking around one day, and my dad was working, and I walked into the nursery. And I was young, and I saw this little white thing in the corner, and it said diaper genie on it. I thought, that's interesting. A genie, like, gives you stuff, right? Like, if I push that, like, it's going to dispense a diaper for me. It's going to shoot out, and I'm like, right, i got to check this thing out. I pushed that button and turned it, and woof, out came a diaper, all right. But I remember smelling that, I was like, oh my. I mean, to this day, I remember that exact scent, right? And I've got three kids, and changing our own kids' diapers was bad enough, but when it's someone else's diaper, and it's in a diaper genie that's been sitting there, that's hot, and you open it up right in the face, it's like, oh man, that's terrible. And I'm tempted to think of all gain, all the things I give up in, in big terms. 
in the sense of, oh, I think about the guy that shares a story about how he had a Lamborghini and he still felt no joy and he gave it all up to gain Christ. So that doesn't really relate to me. It might relate to a few of you, but not to me. Mine is more like, man, if I just have a day where I don't have to share a bathroom with my kids, everything will be great. I love my kids. I don't want you not to think that. But you gotta think about, how does this relate to me? What's attainable to me? And if I think I have that, or what I've already attained, what I've already achieved, Paul says, it's like opening that diaper genie compared to knowing Christ. He's not saying that everything that he had before Christ was bad. He couldn't help where he was from. His accomplishments, your accomplishments, doing well at your career, being a good mom, dad, or being terrible at something, it's not necessarily bad. It's not bad to fail. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, in comparison to knowing Jesus, that's what all that other stuff is like. I have a surpassing worth that comes from Christ. But this is the daily struggle of all believers, isn't it? The daily struggle of constantly being tempted to revert back to our old patterns of boasting in ourselves rather than the cross of Christ. J.I. Packer says, what person spends time nostalgically, nostalgically dreaming about manure? Nobody does that, right? But yet, as Christians, we're constantly going back and thinking, man, that diaper genie wasn't so bad. I should go check that out again. No, Paul is saying it's terrible in comparison to knowing Christ. Is Christ more beautiful to you than your greatest accomplishment? Is Christ more greater to you than your biggest goal? Is Christ more greater to you than your dream car? Is Christ more greater to you than your promotion at work of having the perfect family? Is Christ more greater to you than your favorite sports team? Is Christ more greater to you than your greatest vacation? Oh, that's the only way you found joy is if he, when he does become greater to you. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ, and he says everything else compared to knowing him is trash. And so I want us to really think about sincerely this week. Does everything else in your life look like trash in comparison to knowing Jesus? I mean, really ask yourself that. Every day say, what is it in my life that I think is going to bring me more joy logically than having a relationship with Jesus? It's a daily struggle for me, ongoing. But I always come back to that truth that I want to remind us of this morning from the Apostle Paul. I never regret gaining Christ in the loss of all things. So how do you do this, 2019? Here we are on a new year, first Sunday, of seeing the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Well, it comes by focusing in on Jesus, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and as you do so, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the first thing you must do is actually behold Jesus and see that he is better than everything else. That gaining him is far greater than anything we could ever lose. And we get to know him in his word. May 2019 be the greatest year that you ever spend in God's word. 
We get to know him through prayer. What a privilege to be able to talk to God through Jesus Christ. We know him through community together, of getting together, encouraging one another to be more like Jesus. And what Paul, or what uh, Chuck pointed out last week, which I loved, is the joy of following Christ's commands. May this be the greatest year that you follow the commands of Christ and the joy of sharing your faith with other people who don't know Jesus. May it be the greatest year that you have of sharing your faith with other people and experience the joy of countercultural living. Because the cultural myth says my salvation comes through outward conformity. But biblical truth says salvation comes through inward transformation. Saying I've, I'm unclean, I can't clean myself up. I need Jesus to do it for me. And the cultural myth says that worth comes by gaining, but the biblical truth says that true gain comes by losing. What is logical is not always theological. You think about that in regards to Jesus. It made absolutely zero sense for him to come to earth for a people that didn't desire him, a people that didn't want him. But he's so unlike us, he's so wonderful, he's so perfect and majestic that God sent him on a rescue mission to save humanity. That makes no sense from God's perspective. But God isn't like us. And logic, does, he doesn't think the same way that we do. And he comes to earth and doesn't exercise his power like everyone else does that's looking to gain influence. Exercising power over people. No, he comes in weakness. And it looked like he had been defeated. But on the cross, he was conquering death and sin and bringing salvation to all who would believe and he would rise again. And that's what we remember here together. We remember at the Lord's table what it cost for Christ to give his life for us. First though, he had to live a perfect life, fulfilling the entirety of the law, never once sinning, which is represented in the bread, that qualified him to then be the substitute for sinners. His perfect life able to lay his life down and then take it up again after making total payment for all who would believe. So this time now is a time for believers to remember. Those that have placed their faith, put all their trust in Jesus Christ. It's time for us to come together and remember and celebrate and be thankful for what God has done. If you're out there this morning, you're still listening in, looking into what it means to be a Christ follower. Won't you believe in Christ now? That your outward conformity, good or bad, or whatever you've done, doesn't matter to God. You can't, you can't hand him your resume and say, look at all this stuff that I've done. God looks at them and he says, the only thing I need to see on there is Jesus. That's all that matters. So trust Jesus today. And if not, just let this pass by today. We're not gonna make a big deal about it. Let's pray together. Oh God, my desire, my desire is to see all things in my life as loss in comparison to knowing you. I want that to be true for me. I repent that it hasn't been. It's still not, but I want it to be. I want true joy, and it comes from diving in and seeing you as more valuable than anything else. We pray that for this church. I mean, what couldn't we do 
with your Holy Spirit if we really counted all things loss for the sake of knowing you. I pray for the ones here this morning that's contemplating giving up their resume to to exchange it for Jesus's. I pray they would today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.